0: Good Jay. Welcome to session number good four. Good morning. Morning, bro. What's up? Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? How are you feeling good. on this Saturday? Superb. Superb. Couldn't be better. As usual, had a, had a fab workout and on to the call.
1: Manish uh, is a little more, um, you know, efficient with this time than I had a late night. And coming back here, Manish has already finished the gym. Makes me feel like, you know, I, I gotta got make you feel a little guilty. Always. He always makes me feel guilty. Even if I wake up and and I'm I've gone to the gym, I still feel like I'm not done as much as I should because of Manish. (laughs) Cool. Cool. what are we gonna what are we gonna be talking about today? Behavioral finance differentiating Mm. between luck and skill. Amazing. Amazing. Very important topic. I think something that both you and I resonate with. It was the one topic for me personally behavioral finance when it was taught to me in the CFA was something that I just resonated with it it made so much sense and allowed me to think in a manner that i was just not thinking you know it, it the world of finance didn't fully make sense to me until i learned behavioral finance you know and and yeah i think it's very important to understand how psychology plays into the minds of people and and that goes into, that has a finance element too. It's important to put that into context within the fi- world of financial markets. I agree. i tell you, when I read about it in CFA or the blogs that I follow, I just could
0: relate to it so much because I realized every mistake of mine and you also technically or whatever we've discussed till date on the podcast comes down to eventually making a behavioral error more than before it was a fundamental uh, or a business error, it was a behavioral error. And mm-hmm. I, I was fascinated by this topic because I realized how how lame my whole process was, which was just meant to blow up in my face because it was just so easy to get seduced into things. And uh, that's why I love this topic because it just so resonates with me, my failures, my experiences while investing.
1: Absolutely. Very well sir. Yeah, I agree. Super. So I'll tell you what, you know,
0: guys, we are going to first share with you the whole premise of investing, which will make it easier for you to understand why psychology plays an important role in investing. And that is where this whole concept of efficient markets comes in. If any of you do remember anything you've read in economics or behavioral finance or some reference to this word, efficient markets, it basically means that as per economic theory, all right, a, a human being is rational, has all the information possible and makes all the rational decisions, okay, for him to benefit out of the information he's exposed to. That's what efficient markets means, which means any- the market markets, the efficient market hypothesis, yes. Yeah. Efficient exactly. market hypothesis which basically goes to say that uh, wisdom of the crowd or the price in the market reflects reflects the true price Full of the business flexible information and and that is why if you've been reading financial papers of late you would also be seeing that active fund management cannot beat passive benchmarks if any of you've read all right active fund management is a losing game because 60 70 80 percent of people end up losing against the index and that's why there is encouragement to invest in an index. So all this conversation has been going on and that's what efficient market
1: hypothesis means. Jay, you, you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah. I mean, to add to that, you know, my, the, the job I do is active management, right? But I am to a larger extent, especially in developed markets in in the US, I see if I was to do my, my job in the US, it, it, in my opinion, would be a lot more difficult. Only because in the US, if I'm picking Apple versus Amazon, and that's my job, it's, it's, it's very difficult to beat the benchmark. Versus when I'm in this region, and, and my benchmark is defined as the Middle East and, and North Africa large cap index. The way, I, the way I look at it is the index is basically within our region, for instance. Is is primarily constituted of oil, oil-based companies, pet cams, industrials, you know, very bland, boring commodity-based sectors. And for me, uh, or, or, or well for us and, and and the team I'm in, we invest in companies that are you know a little more that have structural growth, that have growth beyond just oil, you know. Some of the names could be like a cheese producer in Egypt, for instance, right? Very simple business, very easy to to kind of define as business model. But before drifting away too much, I think it, comes, it, it becomes important to then understand what is the efficient market hypothesis? What, what do I personally see amongst, you know, I'm, I consider myself a millennial. And I spend, unfortunately, I was telling Manish this too, spend a lot of time on TikTok and I see a lot of stock TikTok. And I see people brag about how they've made money in 2020, right? And what we're going to talk about is over the, over the course of this, uh, this call is properly trying to understand what is luck and what is skill. Absolutely. And it's a very important
0: topic, as we did share. And before you even get a sense of how much luck is involved in, in investing uh, and making handsome returns or compounding your money uh, in time to come, it is important to dig a little bit more in efficient market hypothesis, which, which actually refers three main assumptions, being that a human being is rational. Just, just for you to you. Why don't you
1: define that word? What yeah. is rational means
0: mean? a human being rational means he will make a wise decision that benefits him. You know, like that it, benefits him yeah, only. that like, Yeah, you know, it's it's based on reason, based on logic, and it benefits mm-hmm. you. Technically, it assumes that every human being is rational. If every human being was rational, you wouldn't see people investing in GameStop at four hundred you wouldn't see people uh, flaunting their trading accounts as you might be seeing right now. Uh, so people are not rational. A, a, a lot of it is emotion. But efficient market hypothesis, firstly assumes people are rational. Technically, in, in the world of finance, if you were rational, you wouldn't even buy a lottery. Or oh, sorry, you wouldn't even do a charity. No, so... It's not a rational. This thought. this yeah. is an
1: excellent. This is an excellent gateway. But before we get to that gateway, another part of being rational is being selfish. Okay. Yeah. Traditional finance assumes every investor only cares about themselves. But if you look at ESG-based indices, you will see that companies that are ESG-friendly. ESG, for those that don't know, is environmental, social, and, and governmental, I think. I don't know what the G stands for. But ESG investing has done extremely Governance. well. Governance, yeah. Has Governance. done extremely yeah. well. And yeah. and and what and ESG indices are companies that are not, you're investing in companies, not just for yourself, right? You're investing in companies that do more for the world. And these companies have done very well. So, it, it kind of eludes traditional finance to, to an extent. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And, and there is enough and more evidence around you and me that a human being, we all at some point in time are not rational in our choices. Purely because sometimes the choices are just so confusing. You know, as you were talking about Apple and Amazon, what to invest in, it could be a very, very confusing, overwhelming decision to
1: make. And It's, it's a very difficult decision to make. To be honest yes yeah. and with those two companies the information is is completely out there it's how you use that information that makes that makes you a good fund manager and then you know a lot of people for instance when i when i talk to people i ask them how would you value apple because that properly defines their thought process within the space and you know people think okay I would value Apple based on the number of iPhones they sell, predict that number of iPhones they sell. But then I tell them that, do you understand what Apple's business model is going into? It's completely different from iPhones. It's going into a business model that is completely cloud-based. Why is Apple, when you buy a new phone, you automatically choose the one with the lowest space. But by choosing the one with the lowest space, you have now got a better camera your pictures take up more memory because your pictures take up more memory, you're going to run out of space very quickly. Your phone still works perfectly, so memory is not a reason for you to upgrade your phone, right? And nice. then you end up buying cloud space. And me being thoroughly aware of, <laughs> of Apple doing this to me, right, and taking my money, and I'm still, I could just delete photos, right? Because I like I have duplicates and all of this, but. <laughs> I still keep all the photos. Yeah. You know what, Apple, take take my $1 per month. It's fine. Into perpetuity. For the rest of my life, I'm confident I'll be paying Apple this $1 every month. And I'm just one of millions and millions of people doing the exact same thing. Absolutely. So, so valuing Apple, right? It, it comes back to this example. Do you want to invest in Apple, because of the number of iPhones they're selling, or do you want to, invest, or or what are you really looking for when oh, you're oh, investing? Or are it?
0: you investing in Apple for the new chips that they are making? They are not even going to depend on others now for their chips in time M1 to come. chip. Yeah, M1 so Which is the fastest picking chip ever made, and can can you value? Like, there might be some people who can value that in that whole industry, but uh, even if you had all the numbers of Apple, it just comes down to the complexity of the whole business to even understand where it'll be years down the line. Like, fires back, no one knew Apple would be doing so much business on the Apple store. Look, look at what they're doing. Exactly. If I rightly remember some massive. How
1: much was the number? Five hundred billion dollars of sales facilitated on the Apple Store, which is just insane. Yeah, because a lot of people don't realize that thirty percent of apples of anybody that does that sells on the App Store goes to Apple directly. That's a that's a ludicrous amount, if you just think about it, right? Absolutely. Whenever you do anything on an app, thirty percent of it goes to Apple. I mean, that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's a lot so so guys point is being yeah precisely
0: 519 billion dollars of sales in 2019 wow that's insane but the whole idea is being rational means being able to make sense of all the information firstly being rational means being making making good decisions Okay, which completely benefit you. That is why you'll never do charity. That's what definition of rationality means because it doesn't benefit you. And the second thing being that you can make sense of all the information available. Like, you know, everything is just so complicated right now. When I say complicated, there are few simple businesses that Jay was referring to, which is a cheese manufacturer in Egypt. But a lot of businesses are very, very complicated. And so many businesses are there, you'll agree with me, are going asset-light mode, which means everything's in the cloud or everything contracted outside. Apple doesn't even make anything on its own anymore. Like it never used to, but it doesn't make any hardware on its own. And that's what so many companies are doing right now. So to be able to make sense of all of that becomes, becomes difficult. And also... The third is that you have access to all the information, which also is is an assumption which I don't think is possible because, because, you know, it's like like, I'll give you an example. COVID, uh, was the information was available in Jan. Technically, the information has already started spreading out in Jan. But because there are so many points of view now to one information, it's become difficult to understand what you're hearing. Is it fact? Is it fiction? Is it truth? Is it a lie? Is it blown out of proportion? Is it a story? Is it genuinely Absolutely. being underplayed? Like even if you have access to information, which is what, uh, you know, this theory assumed, efficient market hypothesis assumed, but how do you even know
1: what you're reading is true, which is just the nature of a beast internet today? Absolutely. And to that point even, right, I remember this story from university where one of my professors was talking about a hedge fund manager going into... So he was valuing Walmart and instead of, you know, all the information is fully there, it's fully public, which I agree with, right? But what the hedge fund manager did amazed me. What he was doing was he took drones to Walmart parking lots figure out the average basket size for Walmart customers. And by figuring out the average basket size of Walmart customers and how many cars were parked there, he basically valued Walmart based on that. I mean when you value Walmart, the one of the key assumptions is not is yeah, number of customers and average basket size, right? And he right. managed to do these two things perfectly or at least Get even more information to what is already known by using drones. I mean that that blew my mind, and I was just at that point I was just taken back. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because that doesn't that is not something which we are taught,
0: you know, in in our academic circles. It just comes out of nowhere that someone's being able to take decisions on on such a such a methodology of accumulating data.
1: But but that's the whole point you know, to... Exactly. There's just data coming from so many places. There's data coming from so many places, but I just want to add one more thing. You know, my colleague was valuing, you know, we were were looking at schools and a lot of the times in traditional finance we're taught to, you know, follow a process. We assume that everything has been told to us in the financial statements, right? Yeah, like everything's been covered and biblically, which is not the case, of course exactly and then he and then he was like we don't have how much it costs per degree per school because we are valuing a school uh, a university right so he was like we don't have how much it costs per degree per university and because he is he has the experience he was in in South side i was like uh, he 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 had this thought process and then i told him i'm like just google it (laughs) like Mm. why didn't you just google it Pretend to be a student and Google it. And that got our answer, you know. But a lot of it, the times the information, even though right it's in front of window, us is is yeah. It's it, people in the finance world just don't don't look enough.
0: Yeah, because we, we were told in the financial academic circles that Google is not the source of information. Google is not a reputed source of information. So don't depend on Google. Told to exactly. us explicitly if not explicitly. So guys, the whole, whole theory to share with you, the behavioral aspect of investing was for, for, for first you to understand what is the economic rational or what is the rational of efficient market hypothesis uh, where, where behavioral theory has no role to play. It behavioral theory says that there is an emotion that runs a human being while making decisions, but in economics, emotions have no role to play. And that is why there are a lot of proponents of the school of thought that efficient market hypothesis doesn't work. The markets are inefficient in many spots, if not across the board. And, and that's what we want to talk to you about over here. So Jay, uh, this makes a good segue into, into what we want to cover next. Next is the human psychology. So there, so what
1: about human psychology All right, uh, fascinates you the most in the game of investing? I'm afraid I will have to use an example of myself. Please do. And an example of myself is I I I tell people, or I actually not just tell people, I, I am very like conservative. Like I, I save a lot of money. Right. Uh, I have a lot of insurance, etc. 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 But I also buy a lottery ticket. Okay. Um I also buy the buy duty-free lottery ticket. One in every two sort of draws that they have. Okay. Just because uh, if I if I, if I do one every time, I feel like that's not enough discipline. Okay. So <laughs> like, create this discipline for me that I buy one in every two. Okay. okay. Even though that there's no real discipline. So it's uh, so you're cheating a bit, but it's only a bit. It's not too much. Exactly. <laughs> right. This speaks fully because the Dubai duty-free millionaire. Hmm. is a one in 5,000 chance Hmm. of winning a million dollars by paying 1,000 dirhams. So if you think about it, by paying 1,000 dirhams, you can win a million dollars, one in 5,000. And if you do the math, the expected value, actually, of your ticket is about 700 dirhams. Now, what is expected value? Expected value is one divided by 5,000 right because that's your probability of winning the draw multiplied by the ticket price which is how much you pay sorry multiplied how by how much you you could possibly earn right which is a million dollars and that comes down to about 700 dirhams and and yeah I'm still, I still buy tickets, even though the ticket should really be worth 700 I still pay 1000 for it. And I'm happy paying 1000 for it. That's psychology. And, and by the way, Vishal, who also teaches us behavioral finance, also buys the same ticket. In so, spite of being one of the few rational people we
0: meet, but he also takes exactly. buy the ticket.
1: Yeah, He also goes and buys a ticket. And... Going to a casino, you're also buying some variation of this ticket. Psychology is you basically being wanting to take on this risk, even though you don't want to take on risk by taking on insurance, right? Absolutely. So no, another example, yeah, that also works out. While shopping is just,
0: a, again, a very lame example, but it's an example still to make you understand what psychology means. I love shopping in spinnies okay but I know spinneys is two times more expensive than than Carfo. or when I, mean, I say two times sorry maybe two dirhams I'm talking about the stuff I have in mind or let's say if I was to buy organic curd in spinneys it will be 18 bucks in carrefour it, it'll be 16 bucks and I would save two bucks if i just went to carrefour but I don't like Carfo that's where human psychology plays out I like spinnies i like the I like the experience there and I'm willing to pay more but human psychology predominantly <laughs> means that your emotional emotions come in to play, when you do, land up making a decision, especially when it's around money, and and many a times people land up taking a decision because a friend took a decision. All right, like Jay bought a stock. That's called that's called social proof. Okay, it's called social proof bias, where because I I trust Jay, which is what also happens Jay in our industry. Don't you think so? A friend picked up something. You have this FOMO. Oh, I don't want to miss out the gains he might go through. Let me also buy. That, that's why people ask each other for tips. Give me tips. No, so
1: yeah. absolutely. And the more, you know, the more I educate myself, you know, you know, today, to be honest, I have no money in kind of, in, in a single stock. I have no mm. money. Mm. Because, and when I was young, I had all my money in single stocks, fully levered, because of this exact reason. Then I lost it all. And then I was like, I have no money in single stocks for this exact reason. Because I'm just like, I don't need it. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't want to have my money in a single stock. Why get into that risk? I thought I knew more than the market. But really, nobody knows more than the market. Who am I? But but that's where, Jay, you and I uh,
0: differ... Uh, about owning single stocks, because I have a good chunk of my portfolio in single stocks, a good chunk. Uh, but point and point here is uh, that even if you don't have, uh, many a times you would also agree that you might have a hindsight bias where, where a past experience may affect your decision today, which is also emotional bias, which takes in people's decisions. Not, nothing right or wrong about it. Maybe I have a hindsight bias that i made damn good money in individual stocks, okay? Berkshire Hathaway being my largest holding. That's why I keep talking to you about Warren because whenever we speak. But but that is what has maybe given me confidence to have an equity portfolio, but I do my own research. But point is that there is a hindsight bias.
1: You, you agree with me, Jay? I agree 100% that I have a hindsight bias. I have a hindsight bias of losing money. Say, for instance, one example that, I, that I've that i spoken to Manish about this before is I had Facebook fully levered. I, I told myself Facebook will not lose 5% ever, like the stock price. And because of that, I levered up fully. Uh, I took a 1 is to, I think, 20 leverage or 10 leverage on Facebook. And I lost it all. I lost all my money. And and Facebook, by the way, when I invested in it, my thesis was right. You were right. It's, it's the thesis has come true. The thesis is, I mean, if I had enough money to hold it, I would have held it. And I would have probably, you know, quadrupled my money by now. But Omo, Omo because, maybe, I was, yeah. because I was greedy back then, I uh, I lost it all. I, I mean, I still think Facebook's a great company. I, I agree. To you... To give you context, Shamat Pala... Pala I, I mean, so difficult his second name is. I love the the posts he brings on on Twitter, but uh, he doesn't like Facebook. And I I wish I was, you know, a one-on-one with him to kind of argue with him as to why I think Facebook's a good money but, but he
0: likes Mark Zuckerberg. Huh? He has huge regard for Mark Zuckerberg and he's been very vocal about it. He, You know, Chamath, says Mark Zuckerberg is one of the most incredibly gifted people he's come across. But as a business model, he doesn't like Facebook, I agree. But point is, Jay, even if you look at when you levered Facebook, okay, at that time, if you look at the emotional bias that you... Today, it's hindsight bias that you're not buying individual stock. But if you look at the time when you levered Facebook fully, that was an overconfidence bias, wherein you were dead sure that that bet will pay off. And that's also an emotion taking over your financial decision which is where again psychology enters into the frame of investment right absolutely absolutely so, so guys, absolutely if, if, you, if you hear many examples that we talk about so much of it will come down to a emotional emotional trigger okay which precedes your execution of a decision which was to buy Facebook okay overconfidence bias, is one of the biggest reasons why many people lose so much money in the markets purely because you enter with this with this gut instinct which tells you I am confident
1: I'm right. Absolutely. And I think that transitions well into, you know, what we're trying to like what we're trying to talk about, which is, you know, how do you differentiate between luck and skill? Right? What is it's 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 very vague. What is luck? What is skill? You could call yourself skillful. I could call myself skillful because I thought of Facebook. And but really like I think I'm skillful because I think of Apple in a different way than somebody else does. But am I really skillful or am I just lucky? Right? And and that's what we we really want to get into. That's the meat of this. For me. One idea that properly resonates, I was telling Manish this too, is Sanat, who was one of the, uh, he, I mean, he's a role model for me. He's one of the analysts I look up to. And he told me what is the worst investment he made. And the way I look at the world of financial markets, he said, this is an investment that actually made me a lot of money, but it's the worst investment I made because it made me a lot of money but not because of the reason I thought it would make me a lot of money. I'll give you an example with myself. I mean, and and within our portfolio, there was a school that we like a, a company that, that was involved in schools and our thesis for buying the stock was the school is about to break even. And you know, when a school breaks even, going past the break even point, there's a significant amount of operating leverage, which means that everything from there is almost pure profit. And we bought stock. We thought all this time it was about the fact that the school was about to break even. Stock rallied 100%. Okay, so we doubled up money. But why did the stock double? was not because the school broke even. It was because the school was in talks to buy other schools. And they actually completed transacting on other schools. So that's an example of luck, right? playing a role, yeah. That's an excellent example of how luck defied, right, the, the process that I thought I was skillful with or we thought that we were skillful. With. Yeah, like, like Amazon there, yeah. people have been buying Amazon for
0: years hoping or actually the thesis being that Amazon is gonna bring the world's biggest supermarket online but they make more than 70% of their revenue from the cloud business which was not even a separate line of business till 3 years back or 4 years back. Exactly. So, so many people, exactly. what the whole, whole you know, it's, it's amazing how luck plays out. I'll share with you, Jay, my personal example. My second biggest holding in individual stocks is Twitter. And I came to know about Twitter again through Berkshire Hathaway. And you will say, how? How has Warren Buffet's company got to do anything with Twitter? Look at it. The biggest analyst for Berkshire Hathaway is Chris Bloomstrand, whom I follow religiously. The guy is, if I share with you his annual letter, Jay, your every CFA skill will go into understanding his letter. It's the most remarkable letter to go through. Maybe I'll share with you after the podcast. But Jay, Chris Bloomstan also is, is a part of a podcast show called This Week in Intelligent Investing, the only podcast show he's part of. And uh, he is, he in their first episode, which was like eight months or nine months back, they they dissected Twitter inside out. Like Twitter was not even on my radar. But I was lucky to follow Berkshire Hathaway because it's my holding. And because of it, I was lucky to follow Chris Bloomshan. And because of Chris Bloomshan, I came to know Elliot Turner, who's one of the biggest investors of Twitter. Like he's among the top investors of Twitter. And he was on the podcast dissecting the whole company, which triggered my interest in the stock, which eventually, you know, made me buy the stock at 43. It's at around 70 now which is a very handsome gain in the last night. But point I'm trying to make is even generation of ideas, so much luck is involved, whom you're going to meet or what you're going to learn about from where. Absolutely. I'm sure your generation of ideas also come from so many places which might be just random nodes connecting with each other and you're like, oh, wow, there's, a, there's an investment idea over there. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you.
0: So, so many a times, guys, if you come across someone okay, who touts himself to be the next genius okay, without any humility uh, to admit that there's luck involved in, in the whole process of investing, I really think he might just be crash landing waiting to happen. Because sometimes the overconfidence, you know, that's why there's this quote which is so brilliant. Success is its own biggest enemy. And when you have this overconfidence. Very well, sir. When you have this overconfidence bias making you think that I am successful and I can repeat my success on the basis of my skill with every single decision I make, the overconfidence might just kill you, which is which is what we see happening, you know, time and again in our industry.
1: No, very well said. Absolutely agree. I mean, you know, you have people, especially, you know, like I said, on my stock TikTok that consistently believe. To give you an example, right? I mean, I know we've alluded to an, to this example before, which is Tesla and, and, and buying Tesla. Now, me and this person who's on my TikTok agree on the fact that Tesla is a great company. It's here to change the world. It's great in terms of the ESG framework. It's here to change the world. You look at Tesla from an EV to car multiple, Right? How much are you paying per, per Tesla car that's produced? And you're paying a million dollars more than that. And how much are you paying for GM? Well, now you're paying Which less is...
0: because it's 10
1: 30%. Now maybe you're paying 900,000, yes, 800,000. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. 800,000 is still yeah. a lot. Because for GM, you're paying around $8,000 per car that, that GM produces. I think eight or 12. I'm not sure. But but yeah, it's below $20,000, which is a, a, a serious, it would be a bad assumption. But, and that's why you it's know. tanked also. Huh? Your success
0: also results in your downfall. Look at Tesla, it's tanked 13%, man.
1: While GM has rallied. And, and it comes down to the fact that a lot of millennials, I, I consider myself a millennial, I'm 26, and a lot of millennials like an idea but then they don't do the valuation part of it. You know, Elon Musk himself said the stock's expensive. Imagine the CEO himself is telling you blatantly, the stock is expensive at 400
0: No, but he sells okay. it to the public also. Though he said it's expensive, but he sold the same
1: stock to the public for $5 billion because and he and raise he, money at that price. he said this at 400 it went to 700 or uh, yeah. 800 Yeah, eight hundred. I guess. yeah. Which is like you know, the market is telling him like, who cares about you? Who cares about the CEO of the company telling me that it's expensive? So guys, you know, you know there are there are so many names
0: like Tesla where valuations make no sense at all. Thousand PE, eight hundred PE. Point is, in markets like this today, especially in a bull market, everyone can seem to be skillful. And everyone can flaunt their trophy of having made money in the markets and give you an impression of, oh, I'm skillful and I'm talented. Well, it is only in a, in a bear market do you actually realize who is the one who is a very sensible investor to follow. Like I love Warren Buffet for one reason. His quote is, it is remarkable how much long-term advantage people like us have gotten by trying to be consistently not stupid. Instead of trying to be very intelligent, look at this guy. He's a billionaire, and he says the only reason we made the money we made because he just don't take stupid decisions. We're not intelligent. He just, you know, GM. Jay, you referred GM uh, has gained. Warren Buffett accumulated GM in the last quarter. I don't know if you're aware of it. His new stock holding that has come out. GM is one of the positions they have. Yeah, and, that makes a lot of sense. And and for the whole world, they're like, who oh, this 90-year-old guy is and all, but. The guy just doesn't make stupid bets. His bets are very probabilistically in his favor. It may not be a, a one is to thousand bet where I put one dollar, to turn into thousand dollars and change the world like Tesla. But even if he makes one dollar turning into two dollars, he's okay with that. And no wonder he's, he's one of the only few people who has survived for what now, 60 or 70, 965. You're looking at 35 to 55 years, Baksha Hatwe it's amazing how much
1: competitive advantage you can gain just by being not that's specific. an inspiration like no other like you know as an, an analyst an for you like yeah no.
0: as an aspiring analyst like I, i'm not an analyst as a professional but uh, as, a, as a person who does it on his own uh, does it when do like i'm trying to be professionally as good as Jay would be in his profession but
1: but for both of us it's, it's he's definitely a poster child of, of this whole you know my 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 job is is very difficult, and and my boss actually told me this. He told me this because he was telling me, like you know, the job we do is the most difficult job in the world. Neurosurgeons are, do more than we do, you know. Like, but, oh man, but there's so many variables in our industry. No, but he made a lot of sense, and why we make a lot of sense is because. Job we do is stress. Nothing we do is rocket science. Absolutely. I mean, everything is I'm of the belief rocket science is not rocket science. But none of what we do is rocket science. None of it is difficult. But it's just about the fact that the market is constantly there to tell you you're wrong. You're wrong. In your <laughs> and make thesis. you doubt yourself constantly. You're wrong. Yeah. No, Manish, you're wrong. Like you're just wrong, right? And when you have that overhang of, okay, you're wrong, to that, that tolls you total, down, you know? Yeah, that takes a toll. Like
0: when when Jay refers to rocket science, it basically means that there's a law of physics over there where you do X, Y will happen or there's a very high likelihood Y will happen. That's how physics is. It has a certain domain of forecasting or... Of, 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 Assumption that you can factor in your in your in your forecast, all right. But investing is so much art. Then it is science. It's it just so many variables in the air, which may go in your favor, which may not. And if it goes in your favor, people call these like oh, skill. Warren Buffett himself says, I'm, "I'm more than skilled. I I just don't want to take a stupid decision. It's just probability." and and many a times the whole market is willing to make bets where probability is not in their favor, and that's why they will lose. You know, I guess Jay that. So why.
1: very, very well. Very well,
0: that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and and while market goes against us, the Jay was saying that you're wrong. You're wrong, which is where our decision might be wrong because uh, because what we are buying into may not appreciate. It comes down to how much conviction you have in your idea, how much research you've done in your idea, how much do you understand about the businesses you're betting on so that, you're, so that you don't get scared when the market actually goes down. And that is where, Jay, we can segue into the last part of this podcast where how do you, you know, take care of bad luck? How do you increase your good luck eventually to become skillful enough to do this again and again and again in the right manner
1: so that you see your money compound there's two ways personally that i think one way is indexing right buying a pool of companies that that can do that for you buy 3000 companies through vti for instance instead of buying one company so that's the that's the pool aspect and the second aspect is you know within my field I find that do more research, learn a little more, understand companies a little more, because you still have a lot of people who are trying to compete with you. The market doesn't know what the market, what do you think the market knows? So keep doing research. There will always be an element of luck. But the more you research, the less you have a dependency of luck if that makes sense. It does, it does. I I want to just
0: uh, share over here, Jay, about research. Guys, just to elaborate more on it, if you're not going to do research, because we do understand some of you just don't have the time or the inclination, it doesn't even excite you, it looks like a chore. And if if you're in that category, just buy index funds or just put it on SIP and and, and let it just continue without breaking your head. Because it is literally sometimes breaking your head on understanding what what to buy with the money that you have. But if you're willing to do the research... Okay, which is how, which is also not a guarantee that you protect yourself from bad fortune. But if you're willing to do the research, let me tell you, it doesn't stop, okay, at you deciding that you are going to buy something. It is a never ending process. You're looking at reading uh, news, journals, annual reports, blogs of people who are prolific. At, at, in, in the industry of buying your companies in talking to ex- experts, having friends like Jay who are in that industry and willing to share knowledge that they have accumulated, you know, making sure you don't listen to people who are overconfident about their abilities. The, Jay, there's a coach I was hearing from in a podcast yesterday. This guy has won the maximum number of football championships in American history. Just imagine a guy who has not lost a match for his football team for five years in a row. Can you imagine 100 Non-stop wins. I'm forgetting his name. Uh, you know, but he said such a beautiful thing Jay, yesterday in the podcast. He said, "I'm grateful for everything. I'm entitled to nothing." Such a beautiful line, na? I'm grateful for everything. I'm entitled.
1: Sorry, to I was on mute. Absolutely, absolutely. What you said makes sense. And if you have people like these guys, all right, who are, who are who
0: understand the role luck has played in the investment process, and at the same time are not entitled to to carry their trophy that they are the best fund manager and want to be respected and
1: looked up to like that, they are these are the kind of guys you should have around you. All all look up yeah. Into. And and one example is the analyst that I was referring to, Manish, Before the analyst that I look up to, he always told me like he made a lot of money. The biggest stock that he thinks is the worst investment he made was actually the money, the investment that made him the most money. He invested and in the company, and he, and he but that's such a such a, mon- such a modest worst. yeah, such humility is red fine. He invested in this company that actually didn't make him a lot of money. That actually made him a lot of money, but thesis for why it would make him a lot of money was was wrong and he admitted to it and many won't guys
0: let me tell you in our industry many won't because because there's a there's an implicit pressure to look really smart not dumb uh, look look like someone who knows his ass from his knees you know so not many people admit like i don't know i like the people who say i don't know which is also very rare. Don't you think so, Jay? How many people do you actually need to say, I, I don't know. It's beyond my pay grade. Everyone wants very to have rare. an opinion about everything.
1: Very rare. I mean, if people don't know what they're talking about, then they're not in this job.
0: Yeah, and that's why in our in our industry, people have to make you
1: feel like they know everything about everything, which is not true. Yeah, which is which is not true. Like it it just doesn't happen when when I invest in a company. And, you know, I have like a, like, I'll give you an example of that I was valuing a consumer electronics company and my friend happened to, you know, send me a report that was like, oh yeah, this company, I mean, this industry is going to grow exponentially because 2022, 2023, 2022 It's going to be the year where the Qatar World Cup happens, like the FIFA World Cup happens. Everybody's going to buy new TVs, etc, etc, etc. But it comes down to like, will it happen? Like, like, will people actually buy TVs? And then it comes down to like, yeah, will you make money? On your investment is it cute. Um, these are questions I find that people my age don't really ask But ask age, them age
0: of storytelling it's become exponential, maybe the yeah. favorite word of 2020. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so so guys, to mitigate your bad luck, you know, these two things can be done. I if you are gonna put in the time, then the lo- research process is a never-ending process. Yesterday morning, I sent uh, a research note on something in the morning to a few of my colleagues and they're like, "Money, this is Friday. But, you know, uh, I love reading about investments and uh, that process is uh, unconscious uh, because I'm managing my money and I don't want to just, you know, not be on top of the game. So if research is there, be willing to put in the time. If you're not willing to do the research, do indexing, do SIP. But that way you mitigate your bad luck, okay? And you open up open up opportunities for good luck to enter in your process. Yeah, Like Twitter coming in my process or or, or beautiful random examples I hear from fund managers, how they got a good investing idea. So that's how good luck also enters your process. And eventually, if you do it time and again, chances are you might just be called skilled by the people but I hope you also would be able to hold on to your humility and admit that you had processes in place that allowed for good luck to come in.
1: That's very important.
0: So, so that's a riff on luck and probability is there any 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 parting message that you may have as an analyst to people who would love to see
1: their money compound don't Don't think about luck whatever you're doing right now is probably luck oriented so just understand that everybody knows what they know and as cynical as it sounds, you're not special.
0: Well said. Well said. Guys, it's a game of probabilities. Every bet you make is a probability. Getting married is a probability. Investing is also a probability. When I say probability, you don't exactly know what course it's going to take. You just got to get good at the process. So those probabilities work on your face. Yes, and, exactly. And I hope our podcast allows you to become better at that game. So that those probabilities work in your favor and make your money work for so, you. So that's it, Jay. Yeah. Cool. So I guess, uh, I guess, Jay, that's that's it for Season 1, Episode 4. Okay, I'm pretty excited where it's going to go. But we hope our podcast adds value to you in making good investment decisions.
1: Yes, that's key.
0: Absolutely. So guys, have a smashing day. Jay, have a blast of a day. What's your plan for the day? Go back to bed. I guess Jay would be cursing me to get him up so early for the podcast recording it's all Manish's fault okay Jay I won't keep you holding alright for for that so carry on with that guys have a smashing day ahead and connect with you all in a week's time take care bye
1: take care bye, Jay. guys see you